whether you put a badge on or a uniform, your morality doesn't change. to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Welcome back to the Lions of Liberty podcast, friends. Episode number 73. Before I get to today's guest, I want to take a second to let you know about Health Excellence Select, an amazing alternative to Obamacare, which utilizes health sharing to cover your medical costs. Your fees go directly to pay the medical bills of others, not to some massive crony insurance company. To learn more, head to lionsofliberty.com health. My guest today is a former police officer, having spent six years with the city of North Charleston Police Department in South Carolina. He is currently a member of LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Rayford Davis, welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Thank you for having me on your show, Mark. Well, thanks for coming on the show. You know, I really appreciate it. You actually contacted me out of the blue, letting me know, you know, you're a fan of the show, you're a former police officer, and you want to really talk about your experience. So I was really um, interested in talking to you about that, because it's not often a police officer contacts a libertarian out of the blue to to have a conversation. So um, why don't we just start off, why did you first get into law enforcement? What first drove you into that profession? Well... I started off, I worked in social services. I was a a reservist in the United States Coast Guard. I got a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. I just want to, you know, help and serve the members of my community. I thought I had a good level head and judgment and thought I could add honor and integrity to law enforcement. That's why I got in. You know, obviously, at some point, the honor and integrity and the reasons you went into the field, you obviously started to get a sense that maybe at least part of what you were doing in your job was wrong. So when did that first start for you? It wasn't uh, anything major. It was just very gradual. Of course, in North Charleston, we had a 300-man police force, city of about 80,000. We are considered the eighth most dangerous city at the time when I started with them in 2002. And our main mission was get guns and drugs off the street. You know, I patrolled uh, drug plague neighborhoods for four years. I made hundreds of arrests, many of them drug arrests, many of them violent and dangerous. And, you know, when you work in a neighborhood, I'll give you an example. It's very early, my first few months on the job, I was working a a neighborhood, uh, it's nicknamed the four-way. And it's a drug, you know, it's a drug plagued neighborhood. This place has had trouble since I was a little kid, and I was with a group of police officers. We were doing an aggressive drug patrol, so we're you know stopping everybody for minor violations or people we think were involved in drug activity, which in this one is usually young black males. And uh, we pulled over this one kid on a on a moped for you know something, not using his turn signal continuously as he turned left or something like that and pull him over here we are you know about five police officers you know we're all big guys you know we're physically imposing you know guns and tasers on our duty belts and and we're standing around this kid saying hey uh do you mind if we search you you know your moped for any drugs or any contraband you don't mind do you you know and of course what's the kid gonna say course he's going to give consent you know and so we tear this poor kid's little beat up little moped apart looking for a little bit of weed and of course we don't find anything send him on his way and 
you know, I'm kind of stepping back outside of myself, seeing that and going, man, we look like the cops look like vicious, you know, harassing gang member thugs. And, and certainly uh, we earned that kid's enmity that day and did nothing productive. Wow. Yeah. So that was my first step and say, man, this is, you know, this is not working. So it, was it little incidents like that where you started to kind of view yourselves as, you know, harassing people over certain things that you know, end up harassing people that, you know, weren't necessarily creating crime. They weren't harming other people. They were just going about their day, you know, doing whatever they're doing. And here come you guys with the guns and the tasers and as sort of an intimidating force and, and kind of stopping people, shaking them down, just looking for, you know, drugs or guns. or I mean, that, that's one thing that's kind of shocking to me. I mean, that you said, you know, a few minutes ago where you were told your mission was to get I think you said the mission was to get drugs and guns off the street. And that's kind of scary because, I mean, now, look, you and I both at this point are opposed to the war on drugs, but drugs are illegal. So at least it does make sense that you would, you know, that would be part of the duties of the police officer, even if we disagree with that. But, um, you know, but to add guns to that, I mean, guns are, are legal in theory. I mean, a lot of states have laws restricting the use of them in many ways. But, I mean, the Second Amendment, guns are a something that is kind of um, in the American spirit. And, and the fact that that was sort of seen as part of your mission of getting drugs and guns off the street is, um, is very frightening to me, actually. So, I mean, was that how much was that stress as part of your mission to just get guns off the street? Well, that as well. And, and, you know, in the justification, hey, that's, that's what the community uh, wanted. You know, the, there's a lot of violence in these communities. We had, you know, shootings and murders and uh, threats and, you know, drive-bys, you know, on a fairly regular basis. So it was a, it was a big deal and uh, it's certainly dangerous. And so it's naturally to assume, hey, if you get the guns off the street, then the violence will go away. Sure, they're just going to sit at home uh, with their hands in their pockets then, right? If they... Right. Then you start to understand, hey, it's actually the black market created by the drug prohibition laws that foster and fertilize this environment of violence. And that's, that's what causes the problems. It's not that they're just these evil guys running around. You actually create them with your drug prohibition laws. You create the insane profit motive by artificially inflating the value of the drugs. And then when there are any disputes, if there's two guys that sell drugs and they have some type of dispute over money or territory or something like that, they can't go to court or even like do any type of civil type arbitration. They they have to automatically resort to violence because you said, you know, you can't, you know, the traditional uh, systems of dispute resolutions are closed off to them. So they have to be violent if they want to stay in the business and make the money, and they have to be violent. And so that attracts violent people, and actually that's what uh, young people that get into the drug business, they have to become, and it trains them to do that. Now, when you started to see this stuff and began to realize that you know, maybe a lot of the laws you were enforcing were unjust in the first place and that that was really creating these conditions on the ground, creating a lot of the violence that, that you saw – in North Charleston, you know, how did that really play out, I guess, within the police department? Did you, did you have any conversations with fellow officers about this kind of stuff? How did your own personal development while still serving on the force play out? Well, certainly, you know, and if you talk to pretty much any officer, you know, as far as marijuana is concerned, 
pretty much all of them would say, hey, yeah, you know, we can legalize marijuana, you know, please. Uh, you have any other drugs? And they're like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm too scared. I'm too, you know, too scared to, you know, they'll think the whole world will come crashing down if you do that. Uh, but, you know, and what I did was, you know, I stayed away from the drugs and narcotics type positions. And I was like, you know, uh, it's not really the route I want to go. Um, when I got off the street and went to tech division after four years, juvenile division, we, we did, uh, that was our special victims unit with uh, sexual, child sexual assaults and child abuse. And so I got into there saying, hey, you know, I'll, I'll avoid uh, the drug type arrest and and stay with, uh, you know, some actual victims. But even there, you know, you, you could see, you know, the failure of law enforcement to provide any help or uh, really with that. It's terribly inefficient and misguided. And why do you think that is? Because, I mean, obviously your first attempt to, I guess, sort of right some of these wrongs or at least kind of move yourself away from doing things you didn't feel good about was to move into a, a different area of, you know, actually defending kids and stuff like that. And, you know, obviously if, if kids are being abused or sexually assaulted, there should be a role for law enforcement, even if we disagree with how that, you know, law enforcement should be organized and funded and that kind of thing. So, but, but why do you think that even once you did that, you still saw so many inefficiencies and so many problems with how that's all carried out? Do you think the police department still prioritize the maybe the drugs and, and guns thing way above that stuff? I mean, is, is there more funding for the drug stuff? Well, you know, that is part of it. They do. In my special victims unit, we had a three detectives and there were probably 15 narcotics officers. So that tells you where the interest was and where the resources were being placed. In in state of South Carolina, it takes an average of about 423 days for after someone is arrested for a felony to go to trial. So you imagine uh, you arrest or charge someone uh, for a sexual assault, then you've got to tell a parent of that of that child victim, okay, yeah, we got him arrested, and now you're going to have to wait, you know, 14 months. 15 months before this even begins to go to trial. And that guy's still on the street this whole time. I mean, right. And, and so, you know, I can assure you that those type of crimes were not given the attention they deserved because of the misplaced priorities on the war on drugs. And also there are innocent people charged with the sexual assaults that really got me. Was there are people that were innocent that were charged or, you know, there's a lot of people uh, charged under, circumstances that I did not that if I was a juror I would not convict them whether they are guilty or not you know just the facts were not there and that's a very uncomfortable position to be in wow so so when did you first kind of I know you're you're seeing all these wrongdoings and seeing the the misplaced priorities in the police department when did you first start to incorporate learning about libertarian ideas when did you first you know start to um start to get interested in that stuff Hey, well, you know, before I became a police officer, I voted for Harry Brown. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, I, I was kind of into that, but I did not, I still didn't understand it or grasp what was going on and, you know, would uh, fall back to like a constitutional position and say, well, uh, the federal drug laws really aren't constitutional, but the state, the, hey, the 10th Amendment says the state can do whatever it wants. So if you don't like these drug laws, then, well, talk to your legislatures and change them. And that was my mindset and justification is, is I let the Constitution determine my morality and sense of justice, and uh, which was in error. It wasn't until I got out of law enforcement, you know, 
hey, they have this thing called the internet. And, and, and I was disturbed about, <laughs> you know, use of force and, and never quite felt right with, with a lot of the arrests I made. And so, you know, I found this guy, Murray Rothbard, and the, all these people like on Lou Rockwell type blogs to say, hey, uh, there's this thing called the non-aggression principle, and it's not okay to use violence against another person for any reason except for self-defense from violence. And, and oh, okay, now I understand. That's, that's why my conscience was bothering me when I was making these drug arrests. Uh, these are people that are not committing violence. They're making uh, voluntary exchanges, whether I like the substances that they're exchanging in or not, it really doesn't matter. You know, I have no business using violence. And I will tell you, putting handcuffs on someone, yanking them out of a car, dragging them out of their home, taking them to, to a county jail and locking them up and extorting money, time, whatever else out of them, that is violence. And and it's it's police officers in in that uh, that actually create violence when they arrest people for that type of when they use uh, arrest for people involved in nonviolent activities. So you know when and how or when and why I should say did you finally decide to leave your post as a police officer altogether? Well, that decision was made for me. Uh, oh, I was wow. I was directing traffic one day and got hit by a pickup truck and broke my leg and uh, so. I traded my badge in for a permanent limp, and that's how I got out. Um, you know, I probably would not have stayed too much longer just because of the inner conflict that I felt uh, with so much of it. But uh, that made the decision for me. So, you know, now that you've had this experience as a police officer and have really fully embraced, I guess, the ideas of liberty and, and libertarianism and that kind of thing. You know, I'm sure you're familiar with a lot of you know, outspoken libertarians, and I, I think it's a small portion of them that really go to this extreme. But I've even seen libertarians say something like, you know, um, the only good cop is a dead cop and that kind of thing. What, what do you think when you see that sort of language, you know, when, when libertarians out there will say there are, quote unquote, no good cops? I don't want to see any, you know, anybody harmed, and and I'll be honest with you, uh, violence, even when justified, you know, is is pretty much never the answer. Uh, you know, I want to change people's minds and their hearts, you know, not commit violence against them, and uh, I want to reach out to cops. I was one of those guys, and, and you know, that was, and every police officer that I worked with are good, honest people. We love to have them as your neighbors. They're out there. They're dedicated. They want to do the right thing. But you know, our whole uh, education and society tells you, hey, this is you know, this is good and right to go out there and do you know what police officers do. So they think they're doing the right thing. It is not done with malice. And I think when people focus merely on the enforcers of the law, when people focus their anger simply towards police officers. Now, look, if a police officer, you know, we, we see a lot of videos going around online nowadays of, you know, a police officer shoots someone and it seems like a very, you know, case of injustice. You know, out here uh, a couple years ago, there was a, a mentally a mentally challenged man named Kelly Thomas who was literally beaten to death by police officers on video. I'm, I'm familiar. I'm familiar with that, with that video. And uh, I, I'll tell you, you know, that was, 
you know, when that, when that officer, you know, is saying, Hey, you see these fists? That's you disturbing, know? isn't it? You know, you know, and you know, that's just, I can't, how do you defend that? I mean, he went out there to, you know, and, and, to, and completely in, incited uh, Kelly Thomas. He, he, Kelly Thomas knew he was going to get a beat down. And I he's, mean, he's just begging I, for mercy the whole time. I mean, begging for there's mercy. no way you could even spin that he was a threat to these people. No, not not at all, not at all. And that's just you know just a horrible case. And that's where all, like you know a lot of uh, police officers, I call it like the Colonel Jessup mentality from A Few Good Men, hmm. uh, the character where you know you want me on that wall, you need me on that wall, and if I've got to do tough or things that are make you uncomfortable well that's you know you man up you know and that's kind of that's the mentality and how how you justify some of these things is you know i'm just going to give this guy a beat down and you know keep my block and my neighborhood clear it's a really interesting analogy i do love that film but yeah it's the idea and and you don't you don't even realize hey jessup was the bad guy Yeah, I mean, he's the bad guy because he ordered it in the film. I don't want to – I'm sure anybody out there that hasn't seen this movie, I'm sorry if I spoil it for you, but it's 20 years old. So I'm going to have a spoiler. But right, yeah, right. so Colonel Jessup orders the, the beating of this of this young man and, you know, just at the end of the day, they they win the case against him by getting him to just admit that he, that he did order it. But he basically just justifies it by saying, well, yeah, you need people like me making these – tough decisions and that kind of thing to defend this country. Cause if we don't have people like me in there getting these people in shape, you know, and, and doing things the hard way, quote unquote, you know, you, this country is not going to be safe. And I think that's kind of the similar attitude that some police officers, and I think it's a very minimal amount. It's, it's, it's very, it's very few. Uh, and, and most officers are like the, you know, the young recruits that carried it out. They're like, Hey, you know, in the army and the Marine Corps is great and full of honor. And I, you know, I want to be like that. And Hey, there's Colonel Jessup. I mean, if this guy tells you to give somebody a beat down, well, isn't that the right thing to do? I mean, he's honored and he's a Colonel and everything. So I got to guess I got to do what he says, even though it doesn't seem quite right. And that's how, you know, I kind of, you know, I was as a police officer. Hey, there's, there's guys been around 20 years that are cops and then, right. hey, you know, they're, you know, nobody ever told me to give anybody beat down or anything like that. But here's the thing. Even when you, especially with drug crimes or nonviolent crimes, and you arrest someone, you don't have to beat them down or anything. You can be as nice as you can be. But you put handcuffs them and lock them in a cage or and, you know, extort some type of citation restitution money out of them, that is violence. And that's just this, just the same. And it's just as morally wrong. Even though it's legally justified and you follow all the policy and procedure manuals. I think the way people focus on the enforcers of the laws is not really wise because when people just focus on the forcers, they just focus on the police officers arresting people for drug laws, like you mentioned, or for guns, your community wanted that. Your community wanted people to crack down on drug laws. Your community wanted people to crack down on guns. And I think, in a way, the laws that the police officers are are enforcing, they're really just a reflection of the society as a whole. Now, not in a direct way. Obviously, like, I am not responsible for drug laws. I'm out here speaking out against them. But I'm speaking out against them because so many people in my society here are for them. Now, I happen to know a lot of people that are against the war on drugs, but I think that's more a product of the the circles I run in, you know, in in the libertarian community and the friends I have. But the fact remains that a vast majority of our society does support drug laws. 
and maybe they aren't viewing it in the way we are, but and, and even those people think that they're doing the right thing by supporting drug laws because they maybe they see the destruction drugs can cause to some people. You know, people can get addicted to heroin and die. People can get hooked on cocaine and ruin their life. That's certainly all true. Of course, these people can also get hooked on alcohol, which is totally legal. They can get hooked on prescription drugs, which are approved by the FDA. So there is absolutely no consistency in the way that these laws are applied, even if you accept the premise that drug laws should be enforced via violence. Now, obviously, people like us that have come to sort of a a libertarian point of view, you know, view any drug law as a violation of individual rights, because, you know, unless you're harming someone else, violence should never be inflicted upon another person. So what do you just think of that? I mean, think of the idea that if people focusing so much on, I guess, the enforcers of the laws, but almost ignoring the fact that these laws are the result of the bad ideas of so many people in the society, in their local community. Well, you know, the enforcers, uh, you do bear responsibility. When you cause harm to someone, that affects your moral fiber. And that's what I felt. You know, I felt that damage to my to my moral integrity. And that's why I want to speak out to police officers and say, look, guys, when when you enforce these, uh, particularly these drug prohibition laws, you're committing legal yet immoral acts, and they will cause harm to your moral integrity, whether you realize it or not. And that's that's what I want to speak out against and try to bring awareness. Uh, Rayford, I'm curious uh, about. You know, how you feel about the current situation with NYPD. Obviously, it's tragic that two police officers were murdered. But now, as a result of, I guess, Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York, you know, saying some things that the the police union didn't like, they've just gone out and basically just, in many ways, given up their duties. They don't, they aren't enforcing laws and that kind of thing. And it might be a good thing if they're not enforcing victimless crimes, if they're not enforcing drug laws. At the same time, if the cops are out there and they're the ones that are law enforcers, I, I still want them out there enforcing the laws they should be. You know, I, if, if a cop sees somebody, you know, getting beaten, I want them to stop it. If a cop sees a home getting broken into, I want them to stop it. So, I mean, well, for, first, let's just get your thoughts on the NYPD situation. Are, are you familiar with, with what's going on in New York? Or? Yes, I am. And, you know, this, the killing of the, of the two officers, you know, that's tragic. Uh, we had an officer... Joe Mastovic, that uh, went to his funeral here in Charleston just a few months ago, he was shot and killed by some, you know, idiot with a rifle that's just going crazy in his apartment. And, you know, I stood outside of that church, you know, with a thousand other people, and he had a five-year-old little blonde daughter, and I saw her in the in the hearse, or in the, you know, the family car pulling out, and you could just barely see her eyes above the car, and to think that, you know, that her father was taken from her for violence and you know it you know that that's the first time i've cried in a long time is when i saw her and you know i don't want to see any anybody harmed and to, to kill someone over political you know reasons is just you know it's murder and uh as far as the the debate with bill de blasio and in the eric garner you know homicide is such a tragic thing and you know i don't want police officers in that position you know, all the officers that were involved in his death, you know, that's when I want to speak up. Hey, you know, that's basically a drug law there that, you know, the cigarette tax uh, ordinances or whatever they were trying to enforce. And they killed a man over it. And, you know, I'm telling officers, hey, watch out what you use violence for because somebody may be get hurt. And that is on you. And you're, you're you know, that you're going to be harmed morally by that. 
Now, Rayford, I've got just a few more questions, but first, I want to take a minute to tell everyone about Health Excellence Select, an amazing product from our sponsor, My Academy of Health Excellence. Now, until last year, I was just like you guys. I saw my health insurance cost double and my deductible skyrocket thanks to the Obamacare health insurance mandates. Determined not to participate in this corporatist scheme, I sought an alternative and found out about health sharing, a fantastic concept in which your monthly fees go directly to pay the medical bills of others, not into the pockets of some crony capitalist fat cat. Health Excellence Select combines health sharing with a patient care personal assistant, 24-7 phone access to board-certified physicians, and discounts on dental, vision, and other benefits. The best part is that for most people, plans with Health Excellence Select are much more affordable than Obamacare insurance, and it meets the legal mandate, so you will not be fined for using it in lieu of insurance. For more information, head on over to lionsofliberty.com health. Rayford, do you have one book out there that you would recommend to people that maybe are first hearing this interview and maybe they're just getting interested in libertarian ideas for the first time? What book would you recommend to them to kind of uh, help them learn more about the ideas of liberty? Well, I've said the word morality and moral injury a lot, and I'm reading a book by, I believe it's Tyler Burdeau. The name of the book is Packing Inferno. He's a Marine that did, I believe, two tours in Iraq. In 2004. And he speaks about PTSD with uh, soldiers and says, hey, it's most of it is moral injury when you commit acts of violence, and he's talking about a wartime, against innocent people, against your conscience. And what a great book he's talking about, moral injury and PTSD among soldiers. And I believe you could take about every line of his book that says soldiers and replace that with a police officer. And it would be the same thing. You know, I love when someone recommends a book that I've never heard of before because it gives me something to go out and read. And I've never heard of that. So I definitely will go and check it out. And we'll link to that in the show notes and everything. It sounds it sounds really interesting. Now, um, I'm curious, you know, obviously, as a libertarian, you, you're you probably against, you know, coercive taxation. Not probably. Prob- right. All taxation is theft. And, um, you know, you're against a lot of the ways that society has become structured. But I think... And correct me if I'm wrong, of course, but I think you would probably agree that even in a quote-unquote free society, even in the freest society we can envision, there will still be crimes against other people and there will still be some role for law enforcement. So what do you think that the proper role of law enforcement should be in a free society? Well, this whole social contract idea in public property really confuses things. Uh, But basically, you know, we need dispute resolution and and professional security forces, you know, or professional security professionals, you know, in this day and age. And the same officers that work for government now can do things on their own, and they'll be much more responsive to the needs of the public if they're paid directly. So you think it should really be in a way where people are more directly, um, I guess, involved in, in, in who provides their defense and, and, and who defends them in their communities and that kind of thing, as opposed to where it's sort of just enforced upon people. This is your organization. They are the, the monopoly organization enforcing the laws here and, and tough if you don't like it. That's right. Uh, when I was a detective, many days I would be uh, responsible for sorting through incident reports and put them to the appropriate detective bureau for follow-up. And I would say about 30% were like legitimate incidences that required some type of uh, law enforcement intervention. The other 70% were, you know, drug related or 
people have lost their ability to do any type of dispute resolution. If they have any kind of complaint or some, some type of problem, call the police. And we've almost lost that ability to, you know, to deal with our neighbors or individuals we come in contact with. If you have some type of problem or something, call the cops. Call the cops. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because, I mean, even you know, I was at a party a couple of years ago on a Halloween evening, and yeah, maybe it was a little loud. I'm not sure. I, I don't think it was ridiculous. It was, to, but it was like 10 o'clock on a Friday night. But uh, anyway, the police officers showed up, and there was four or five of them, and, and they didn't really even talk to the the owner of the house. They just started throwing people out. One one guy, they actually grabbed him and just kind of threw him off, like almost down the stairs, out of the door. You know, all I could think was, and, and look, hey, somebody called to complain. Well, right, of course, but and and, and if and look, if someone is really causing a commotion and a disturbance and and just will not stop, you know, there might be a role for some kind of security force at that point. But the one thing that struck me is, well, no one ever knocked on the door. <laughs> no one ever came over and said, "Hey, you guys are being loud. Can you turn it down?" It seems like in our society, we're so ingrained to just leap to, let's call the law, let's call the police. And, you know, luckily nothing really bad happened. They just kind of broke up the party and, you know, our night, our night ended early. But anytime you create an encounter with the police, with law enforcement, whether we agree with certain laws or not, law enforcement is a violent act. It has to be or else how can you enforce anything? So anytime you're, you're sort of creating a, a place where you're creating an opportunity for the police to to come over, you're creating the potential for violence. And it, it's sad to me that so many people leap to that. I know they're maybe not necessarily thinking of it in that way, but it's sad to me that so many people leap to that as opposed to just... The, back in the day, I feel like people just used to knock on the door and say, hey, you guys are being loud, can you turn it down? And now if you tell that person to, to buzz off and you keep partying and, and you're disturbing the whole the whole community, well then, yeah, okay, I, I, I can see why you might need, feel the need to take that next step. But it does seem that so many people, you know, just leap to law enforcement for, for even the most minor of disputes. That is That is correct. Now, Rafer, why don't you tell us a little bit about an organization you've recently become involved with called LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Right. You know, there are thousands of police officers going from, you know, guys like me that were just patrol officers up to deputy chiefs. We have retired uh, Seattle police chief, federal marshals, uh, judges, all former law enforcement officers saying we need to end these drug prohibition laws for all drugs. The reason is prohibition does not work. It makes things worse. It does not reduce the supply of drugs. It doesn't reduce the demand of drugs. It actually makes drugs more potent and more dangerous. And much of the crime and gangs are due to the drug prohibition. And so I'm not just this one lone, you know, crazy cop out here saying, you know, cops say legalize. There's an entire organization, and it's growing every day. Now, Rafer, before I let you go, one more question I want to ask to you is, you know, what advice would you give to other police officers? You know, I, I hope maybe a few police officers happen to be listening to this show. What would, advice would you give to other police officers who, like yourself, have maybe come to the realization that many of the laws they are enforcing are unjust? What, what would you say to someone like that who maybe still wants to do the right thing, still wants to be out in their community protecting people and, you know, like you mentioned, the honor and integrity and, and still has those those feelings in their soul, but maybe is, is beginning to realize that you know, a lot of the laws they are enforcing are are really violating the rights of others. Well, first of all, speak up. Hey, if if you want to support and protect your community, you have to speak out and say, hey, first of all, these drug prohibition laws are not working and they're making things worse and they're putting 
me as a police officer and citizens in danger with these unnecessary violent interactions. That's the first thing, you know, and, and speak out. It's very difficult. I, you know, had to come to the conclusion after I got out of law enforcement, much of what I did was wrong and caused harm. That's hard uh, for your conscience and your character to uh, just, you know, to suffer that type of realization. So I understand it's hard, but once you speak out, you know, then you can roll with it and move forward. Well, Rayford, I guess I am glad that you did suffer through that a little bit because that that's mental suffering, I guess, you had and those those internal conflicts that you started to have are are what brought you to, I guess, a, a better moral place in life. And uh, I can tell from just talking to you that you're a great guy and you really mean well and want to do the right thing. And, you know, I, I got to think you're not necessarily unique amongst human beings or unique amongst police officers. And, and that's why I think it's so important to not just lash out and, and say, you know, F the police and all that stuff. Stuff, we need to speak to people. We need to speak to people in reasonable terms. And it's not that hard to have a conversation with somebody. We're doing it right now. It's not that hard to be outspoken about your beliefs. And there might be consequences to that. But, you know, I mean, there. I'm sure if a lot of people in Germany, and I'm not, I'm not making a direct analogy. I don't think we're in, in Nazi Germany right now or anything. But, you know, a lot of people back in Nazi Germany didn't speak out. And when, when nobody speaks out, when nobody says anything about the atrocities they're seeing and the war on drugs certainly is an atrocity when people don't speak out about it it's not going to change and things are only going to get worse and only when we do speak out and do tell people that there's a different way there's a different way to view things there's a different way to interact with our fellow man only then will things start to change and you know i'm so glad there are people like us and people like you out there that are speaking out and that are really you know really making an effort to change society and change the way we view our interactions with our fellow man so thank you so much for coming on the show Rayford I really do appreciate it I really enjoyed talking to you uh, before I let you go why don't you just take a second to let everybody know how they could contact you maybe how they could follow you on social media and how they can get involved and find more out about leap well certainly you know you can google leap and uh, they've got some great resources there if you want to become a part of the team and uh, I am on Twitter ready for D and also have a blog blue enmity so I write a few little articles there working on that. But, hey, thank you f- for what you do. It's people like you, uh, Mark, that, that uh, just you know spread the word on a regular basis. I had never heard of non-aggression principle or you know libertarianism or morality uh, th- throughout my education and, and career uh, until later. And if I had never heard it, I would have never you know, had this uh, change. Yeah, they don't talk about this stuff in our schools, do they? They don't. They don't really teach, uh, or in the media, they don't talk about morals that much. I can't. I don't think I heard the word morals once in school, and I, I think that is a, a reflection of our society. I, sometimes I'll have conversations with people, and they'll get to a point where I'm, I'm harping on morals, and they'll say, "Well, I don't care about morals so much. I just want to do what works." And then that, that's what that's the kind of attitude that leads to tyranny in law enforcement circles. Is it constitutional? Or can we make the report make it look like it's constitutional? It, that's the end-all, be-all. Whether you put a badge on or a uniform, your morality doesn't change. 
Yeah, the Constitution isn't a moral prescription. It doesn't teach us about morals. And if it just says the states can do whatever they want, well, the states can do a lot of bad things. And, and at this point, they are doing a lot of bad things. Maybe some states are doing good things by liberalizing the marijuana laws and that kind of thing. And I think we are seeing some positive trends in that direction. Thanks to people speaking out and thanks to people changing their views. And, and I'm glad you and I are and, and many other great people are out there doing that right now. So thanks a lot for coming on the show, Rayford. I really did enjoy our conversation. And I look forward to hearing more from you. And we'll definitely check out your blog. We'll link back to all the stuff in the show notes. And, and keep up the great work and keep being outspoken. Uh, I, I think it's really important. And I really appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you for having me on Lines of Liberty. Thank you, Rayford. Take care. We'll be back after a little break. Hey guys, Mark Clare here, lionsofliberty.com, where we strive to advance the ideas of liberty daily. We bring you the Morning Roar! That's right, every Monday to Friday we'll have a brand new edition of the Morning Roar, where we provide a roundup of some news stories that you may not find in the mainstream media, or even in your typical social media news feed. We find stories that relate to the ideas of liberty and provide you with our liberty perspective on them. We wrap it all up every Friday with Felony Friday, where our own John Odermatt goes out and takes a look at some sort of felony. There's felonies committed every day, you know, whether it's a felony committed by the police, a politician, or even an average citizen. You can find all of this and so much more over at lionsofliberty.com, advancing the ideas of liberty daily. This is Glenn Jacobs, and you're listening to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Wow, what a great talk. What a great guy Rayford Davis is, huh, guys? I mean, he's, he's really a great example of how people's views can change over time, and it can happen in a variety of ways. Now, for Rayford Davis, it was seeing firsthand the causes and effects of the war on drugs. He saw the lives ruined by these policies. He saw how real crimes like child abuse were deprioritized over victimless crimes like getting guns and drugs off the street, as as he was told it was a directive in his department. And ultimately, as Mr. Davis points out, in some way, this is a reflection of what the local community wanted. And this is true on a larger scale. With all the bad policies we see from our government, in some way, shape, or form, they are a reflection of what at least a large segment of our society believes. So it's simply silly to focus only on the enforcers of bad laws. When, when I see people out there saying, you know, F the police and all this stuff, you know, and there's, there's certainly reasons to be angry at the police for certain things, for things they do, for abuses on other people, for, you know, when we see videos of them killing dogs, sure, I'm not going to expect people to be anything but angry. But when we're talking about the policies, the war on drugs, we're talking about police pulling people over for victimless crimes, there's a deeper-seated source of that, of these laws and the reasons they're doing it. They're not just out there, a, a band of marauders wandering out on their own just trying to mess with people. No, they're following the orders handed down from them, and ultimately those orders are crafted by legislation and by what the majority of the citizenry, or at least a good part of them, think should be the law. I'm so glad Mr. Davis reached out to me to have this conversation because conversations are how we change things. Speaking of conversations, we have a new forum on Facebook. If you guys are on Facebook, it's called the Lions of Liberty Forum. It's just a little something we set up in addition to our normal Facebook page, facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty. You can find the Lions of Liberty Forum. Just search for that. You know, Join the group and one of our admins will let you in and you can discuss our articles, discuss our podcasts. Discuss anything else you want. Feel free to post your own stuff in there. Start your own conversations. We really want to have a forum where people can come in and talk about these ideas. Of course, you can find us 
over on Twitter as well, at Lines of Liberty, over at Google+. There are so many ways you can join this conversation and communicate with us. And of course, you can keep coming back here each and every week. You can subscribe on iTunes, on Stitcher Radio. Listen to us at LibertyTalk.fm every Saturday and Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Listen to us throughout the week at the Liberty Radio Network, LRN.fm. And be sure to tune back in next week. I've got a great lineup. First, we're going to start off this coming Tuesday with a guy many out there are familiar with. He's been on this show before. Ben Swan, independent journalist Ben Swan, is going to be here to discuss his recent look into the root cause of police militarization here in the United States. So we're going to talk about that and a lot of other stuff that Ben and his his great crew have been looking into at the Truth and Media Project. Also next week, next Thursday, this is really exciting stuff, folks. It's been a while. I've kind of been detoxing here in the early part of the year in 2015 here, but we are going to once again... Have the Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor, our almost jovial feature, where uh, me and my, my fellow Lions of Liberty will gather around over a few adult beverages and discuss some, some current goings-on, some philosophical musings, wherever it takes us. We don't have a script for that show. We just kind of let it go, and people seem to like it, so we're going to keep doing it each and every month here at Lions of Liberty. And of course, until then... You've got a week, guys. You've got a week to get yourselves a drink. If you're of age, of course. If not, you know, that, that's cool. No worries. Someday, someday you'll, be, you'll all be able to join us in the Libertarians in Living Rooms drinking liquor. And until then, folks, it's just one little, tiny little task I'm going to ask of you. And that's to live long and live free. Thank you.